FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. This is Sasswhat, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove, and I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Hello there, and greetings from Southeast Ohio, where the population of self-absorbed urban fools is surprisingly low. But I ruined the numbers on that. Yeah, I was (laughs) going to say. Uh, So... Yeah, tonight we're back. We're talking about sightings because it's been a while since we had an episode to talk about Bigfoot sightings in general and uh, get, get kind of thematic with one geographical location. We've done this a couple times. Um, so we wanted to b- bring it back and we are bringing it back with Alaska, which is hot right now in the Bigfoot world, it seems like. Uh, in fact, as part of my quote-unquote research for this <laughs> for this episode i was watching an episode of that show missing in alaska have you seen i it? have never seen it ever okay ken gerard is on it um i don't do you know ken is he personally uh no not we i've met him i got his have signature you? in one of his books okay cool but that's cool. the extent of it Right. I think he's friends with Lyle, actually, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure about that. They're both from Texas, and they, they have similar-sounding voices. Um, uh, I watched the show earlier. I don't really have any opinion on the show. It reminded me. It didn't remind me of any of the other Bigfoot shows. I don't think it's a Bigfoot show, though, either. But it didn't really remind me of a Bigfoot show like like Finding Bigfoot or Mountain Monsters. It reminded me of... like that kind of hyper-dramatized Alaskan state troopers kind okay. of thing, um, which is a show I occasionally watch. Uh, it was it, it kind of reminded me of that. But the episode I watched was centered around uh, Bigfoot, and I learned some things about Bigfoot, which I have since corroborated with some internet research in terms of... And I'm sure you're going to get into this stuff eventually here, but... Um, anyway, the the episode was about all these missing people. Apparently, there's like five people missing for every thousand people living in Canada. I don't know if you've Whoa. heard that statistic. Okay, it's so like five people, five out of every thousand people go missing in Alaska. Um, and I've got some stats on that, but we can get the, to that a little okay. later. And don't let me forget this because, like, I I know this this Alaska. Like missing four one one type thing is kind of hot right oh, now. Oh yeah, but I I did find some like some facts about Alaska that might help to explain that beyond just they're being abducted by Bigfoots okay. or UFOs or vortexes into the center of the earth. <laughs> Which, by the way, that's not that's not Alaska. That's like Antarctica, right? That's sure or Mount Shasta too, depending on okay. Who you- listen to one of my favorite i mean if if this was a show about 
like conspiracy theories, I would love to spend an entire show just talking about the portal to the center of the earth that the Nazis found during oh, World War yeah. II. Right. Uh, and the and base the, uh, that they've built. The base that they built and they're secretly putting the world back together. Their 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 third fourth Reich, I guess it would be, back together. There's a movie um, trilogy right there. I'm surprised it oh, hasn't yeah. been done. Maybe it well, has. it's it's in it's in the works. It's <laughs> the next small town monsters <laughs> joint. Uh, awesome! I'm yeah, an executive wait. producer of that, by the way. <laughs> I'm letting the world uh, know right now. Yeah, right now. This is the we just announced it live on air. We have just broke the news story. Um, let's talk about Alaska before we start talking about Alaskan Bigfoots, though, because Alaska. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with it. Um, and I think it was because it was this, it seemed like an exotic land to me, even though it's still like America, mm-hmm. uh, North America, it's North, North America. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I loved Alaska. I did book reports on it. I always said that was like where I wanted to travel. And then last year, my love for Alaska was kind of rekindled because some of my in-laws went there on like a cruise and they brought back this, you know, they had video and photos and I was watching all this and, and they were on a Disney cruise. So that only heightened my <laughs> desire to go. Yeah. Um, did they get up so, close to the glacier and everything? They did. Yeah. And you could see the cool thing about that was like when they were that, whatever they taped, you could actually see like chunks of it breaking off and falling into the yeah. water, which is, Seemed cool and terrifying, right? Because, like, you're in a boat. And, yeah. And I'm like, in my head, it's like, what happens if that glacier falls apart and basically some version of Godzilla is right on the other side of it? Like, it comes down, and there he is. I've had dreams and, like that, believe it yeah. or not. Yeah, no, I, I have too. <laughs> wonderful, yeah. wonderful dreams. But I like I, how I you say know what though you're right. I was just talking to somebody who came back from that same trip and they said that mm-hmm. when those things let go, it's like a huge explosion. It sounds like a like something blew up. And well, the first I, time they heard that, they were like, What was that? And then they said, Oh, it's the glacier, you gotta get get up on deck and I thought sort of the same thing you did, which is it'd be like a combination of just absolute terror and just you yeah. can't look away at the same time. It'd be pretty awesome. I would I would uh I would actually perform an act for which I coined a phrase this this past weekend um or this past week I was on TV on like television news and yeah, I to, told you have to get into that at some point during this episode. Okay. I'd like to hear well, we, more behind the scenes. All right, we'll try to do that maybe next episode or something because we're already we're we're launching ourselves full bore into the Alaska right now and I'm about to <laughs> Just, just prove how mature we're I am. We're on the float plane uh, right now, going to Alaska. I, we're on the boat. The Disney cruise. Goofy is standing next to me, <laughs> and I am talking about the fact that I coined this word called "pooking," which is, which is. I was convinced that I was going to be so nervous about my television appearance that I would poop and puke <laughs> simultaneously on national television. <laughs> And so I decided to call it Pooking. Welcome to Sasswood, <laughs> a, pod, a podcast about Bigfoot. Uh, hey, so anyway. If we get enough people saying that, it'll end yeah. up in Webster's. 
eventually. We've just lost we've just lost like half our listening <laughs> audience with that. So anyway, um Alaska is an enormous state. It is the biggest of the fifty states, if I'm not mistaken, and it is one of the least populated. It's in like the top three least populated, and it is the least densely populated. Um so it is massive acres and acres of forest. It has the largest uh, national forest in the United States, which is the um, Tongass National Forest. And I, I am resorting to Wikipedia on this, but I was really curious about this because, like I said, I, I love geographically and just historically, I love Alaska and the idea of this, uh, you know, kind of like, I mean, I don't think it's true, but like the last wilderness, at least in America. Right. Like, that's what mm-hmm. it is to me. Um, uh, but the Wikipedia says uh, that Tongass is 17 million acres, which... The, the Cuyahoga Valley National yeah. <laughs> Park is thirty three thousand, right? Uh, and that's a small national park, but still, like you could fit. I can't even try to do math. Um, anyway, the the just kind of the 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 lure of um, Tongass and and Alaska for me has always been part of it. It's just that like acres and acres of undiscovered wilderness and forest and that kind of thing. And so it has always made sense to me that there would be Bigfoots in Alaska. And I had never looked into this until the past year, but obviously there is a rich history of like Bigfoot lore and such like in Canada or in Alaska, um, not Canada. Close though. Close. Um, the 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 what I was talking about earlier when I said that I learned something uh, about Alaska that I never knew is that they call their Bigfoot hairy man, which I've heard that term obviously because Kathy Strains said it before, but I didn't know that kind of originates from Alaska. They call it hairy man, and the other thing I found out is that Alaskan Bigfoots are huge, mm-hmm. like way bigger than our Bigfoots. So, if our Bigfoots are like the the our Bigfoots like LeBron James, mm-hmm. their their Bigfoot is like friggin' minute bull. I mean, it's it's this mass right <laughs> with this, muscle. Yeah, it's this massive creature. Um, <clears throat> apparently, very angry and abducting people right and left yeah. all over the Alaskan wilderness. So. Um, let's hop in, hop in here with me. What do you got in terms of like Alaskan sightings oh, or is man. there a specific way you want to do that? Or do you want to, is there anything else you want to broach before we start talking sightings and see, I, I probably should have discussed this with you beforehand, but there's this one particular story <clears throat> and I'm sure you're, you're going to want to talk about okay. it. And I almost feel like we should spend the rest of this episode or at least quite a bit of time talking about the port lock Alaska mm-hmm. sighting slash missing town slash massing massive missing four one one incident. Okay, <clears throat> I don't know how you feel about yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's cool. Let's do it. Is now you've done a lot of research. Your research based off of the Rain Coast Rain Coast Sasquatch Sasquatch by written by J. Robert Alley. Okay, excellent, and excellent I, read. Yes. This is, I, I told you, I think before, I think this is Brian, Brian Brown's favorite Bigfoot book. I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I had just read an article that uh, Michael Mays wrote, Mike Mays wrote, the Texas Cryptid Hunter on texascryptidhunter.blogspot.com. He does a pretty cool blog about all things kind of cryptid, not just Bigfoot, but like black cats and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Are you familiar with his stuff? Not as much as I should be from the sounds of it. Okay, he's really cool. He's in the NAWAC, okay. too, so it's a bonus. But um, he did an entire post about the Portlock thing, and it's kind of just a summation of what happened. But he posted some links towards the bottom to newspaper articles from Alaska that kind of detail some of the accounts. And and from what I could tell, I didn't, get, I didn't actually have time to read the... The articles, but from what I could tell, these were actually articles that were written based off of uh, interviews with people that would have been living in Portlock back when all this was going on. So, how familiar are you with this particular story? Um, well, pretty pretty familiar with it. It actually okay. appears in fairly full form in uh, John Green's Sasquatch: The Apes Among Us, which is pretty okay. cool. And do you want to do you want to sum it up for our listeners? Yeah, who sure. Might not be I mean, you, you, aware? you said that it was mentioned in the news at that time, mm-hmm. which is true. Um, mm-hmm. There's one example of that is the Anchorage Daily News, April fifteenth, nineteen seventy three, carried a feature article on the abandoned cannery town of Portlock, uh, and uh, the writer had learned the story during an evening spent with a school teacher and his wife on a boat trip. And just sort of, like you said, summarizing the, the story, Portlock began its existence as a, a cannery town sometime after the turn of the century. In the early 20s, 1921, a post office was established there. And uh, for a time, the mostly Native residents lived pretty peacefully. But then in the beginning years of World War II... There were rumors going around that things were not right in Portlock. Uh, men would come you know, from that town, would go up into the hills to hunt, and would never return. And even worse, um, mutilated bodies would uh, allegedly be swept down into the lagoon, torn and dismembered in a way that bears could not, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there was folks who would track moose and find just gigantic footprints. I mean, 18 inches uh, plus, as you mentioned before, sort of the gargantuan size of some of these creatures. And in 1949, the villagers had had it, and they just left. They left their houses, their uh, fishing stuff, and they just went to other places. And um, even today that sort of stands as a ghost town uh, as rel- as in the what I'm looking at here 1964 uh, folks went back to sort of look around and it was just a classic ghost town scenario a ruined site of the village and that yeah. that's sort of the people just had it with sort of the the threatening nature of this creature and that that is that is hardly you know, an isolated incident when you start to dig into the Alaskan Bigfoot reports. There's just a, a continuous history almost of, at the best, sort of uh, mischievous um, playing with people, bothering them, all the way up to, you know, a, a lethal 
situation. Yeah, and and like you said, this was a fully functioning town. And in fact, like this story more than anything reminded me of the story of the town in PA. And the name has just slipped my mind, but there's that town that was completely abandoned, basically not overnight, but m- mostly because that coal mine caught fire. Oh. And do you know what I'm yeah. talking yeah, I about? Do. What is? Th- I don't recall I the name. Think of the name. Yeah, there's an entire folk song about it, and it's like on the tip of my tongue, and I can't think of it. Anyway, this was a a, a, a fully functioning town that literally went like people just vanished overnight. And in Mike May's article, he goes more in depth into some of the local stories. Um, I'm going to, I hope this is okay with him, but um, I'm going to try to find a couple of them because some of these are really good. Like this one says, former Portlock resident Melania Helen Kell was interviewed by Naomi Clauda of the Homer Tribune back in October of 2009 said things in Portlock started out well enough, but degenerated to such a point that her family left their home and fled to Nanwalak. The family had endured the murder of Melania's godfather, Andrew Kamluck, in 1939. Kamluck was a logger who was killed when someone or something hit him over the head with a piece of heavy log-moving equipment. It was generally agreed that Kamluck was killed instantly and that the murderer would have had to be a true brute to wield the piece of equipment in question as a lethal weapon. The family stuck it out in Portlock for more than a decade after the murder of Kamluck, but after being terrorized for a long period of time, along with all the other villages, they finally picked up and left. Um, and it goes on to say, I love this line, tales of murder and mayhem rolled out of Portlock on a regular basis in the 30s and 40s, gaining steam during the World War Two years, like you said. And he gives accounts, like multiple accounts of kind of, you know, these this ongoing situation where villagers were being... Attacked by uh, hair-covered creatures, and and this goes all the way back to early 1900s. So this is a historical thing. It's not like a, it just happened overnight. There's ongoing situation here where people are being menaced by these things. So I can't refer people enough to Mike May's Texas Cryptid Hunter uh, website, and you can check out his entire story on it because it it sums everything up, I think, way better than we can. But I just find the idea of I mean, you want you want an an just a fascinating story that would make an amazing documentary. Uh, <laughs> this is this is like the ultimate one. The problem I think would be finding anyone who was alive back then, right? Because this is so long mm-hmm. ago. But for an entire town to pick up and move overnight, and they all have these stories of being menaced by these these you know upright walking hair covered creatures. It's all that. Like I, when I, when I hear, you hear things like this all the time. I hear about Helltown, Ohio, right? Mm-hmm. Like CVNP and it's supposed to be this abandoned, seriously haunted town. And like everything, you know, who knows what went on there, blah, blah, blah. Well, I know what went on there and it's nothing terrifying. It's just typical history stuff. Mm-hmm. This is one of those stories that's like, there's no uh, uh, automatically visible, um, to me anyway, reason for what went on in port luck that's part of what i love about it (laughs) sure right and it's verifiable i mean there's (laughs) people left uh sort of vibrant i'm sure beautiful sort of setting and uh it's it's really pretty chilling and not atypical of the alaskan bigfoot experience from the sounds of things yeah, and, and Mike has a story in there from a guy that I think actually 
lived in the town and he talks he, this, this guy was actually in an ambulance uh, after some sort of injury and he was talking to whoever this 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 story was pulled from a newspaper article he, see who, this guy that was in the ambulance was actually speaking to the guy that wrote the story I guess about it like how he had seen it growing up and all this kind of stuff and I just love it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The Alaskan wilderness, and then you bring in this aspect of like a ghost town caused by marauding Bigfoots. Yeah. And there's 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 mention of these things being um, uh, devils, and that's something else that pops up constantly, and it does through all of, you know, kind of historical Bigfoot lore, but like in Alaska, there's this constant reference to them being devils, and it's, you do read accounts of like the single Bigfoot, but this is like the third time uh, third or fourth time in the minimal amount of time I spent today doing research on this, where I read accounts of multiple creatures, mm-hmm. you know, where they're actually swarming, I think is one of the words wow. I use to describe it, down upon the town or the people or whatever. So, um, moving on from Portlock, you can hit hit us with your, with your story. Okay. Um, there's a lot of good ones, and... Again, I can't recommend Allie's book enough. Uh, it, it, if it has a great reputation, um, there's plenty of reasons why. And it's just the, the thorough nature of the investigation that he does. He he has a way of interviewing people where he talks to the principal witnesses, and then he will make a, an appointment to see them a week later and talk to them again and ask similar questions, and in some cases actually try to to trap them uh to provide uh bogus information and he tells you in the book if they do that or if they don't and so he really vets uh, these eyewitnesses pretty well i think oh and uh centralia is the pennsylvania yes centralia's on fire (laughs) has been 40 years yeah there's there's like a folk song about Mm -hmm. that yeah so um here we go with encounters on Revilla Island. And this is a lot of these reports, almost all of the ones that I'm going to talk about tonight, come out of the extreme southern portion of Alaska, where it's bordered by British Columbia on the east and the Pacific Ocean on the west. And maybe the one location that people would be familiar with the most would be um, Prince of Wales Island. And uh, then the, the Ketchikan is uh, the town. Uh, going north about 300 miles to the northwest is Juneau. So that's sort of the general setting of the places that we're talking about. A lot of island uh, barriers, and and that's where many of these stories are, are taken from. The first one that I wanted to talk about really caught my attention because of how creepy it is and how strange it was in 1966, and it was two families, and it was two moms with their kids, and they were going on this camping excursion. And it all begins when they, you know, they're all alone in this campsite, and they see a shadow on the edge of the camp, and walking up the edge of this road, they see a about 40 feet away, tall, hair-covered figure, uh, really heavily built, and they shone their flashlights on it, and it angled away from them, you know, in a way that suggested, for good reason, it didn't like the light, and kind of shuffled away. 
and they threw all the kids in the car, stuffed the tents in the back without dismantling them. So you just get this picture in your head of just the total scramble to leave the campground area as quickly as possible, and they tear out of there. And what they ended up going to was a shelter house, a three-sided picnic shelter. It had you know fireplace and tables in it and things like that. They decided they were going to spend the rest of the night there. So they get their gear out again. They get their sleeping bags at the very least. And they're all sort of trying to settle down, and the kids are, are pretty much asleep. And then around midnight, uh, the two women were awakened by the sound of footsteps approaching the shelter. They smelled something uh, pretty bad. There was heavy breathing. And the creature enters their shelter house. And it had a musky smell. It walked around in there for the, the one mom estimates about four minutes. And they had taken out an axe, evidently, and leaned it against the side of the shelter. And this creature starts playing with the axe. (laughs) And it didn't swing it. It didn't chop anything. It just sort of examined it and then picked it up, um, then set it back down, and then started dragging it around on the, the concrete pad of the shelter. And so... The women are, you know, watching this all unfold, kind of making eye contact with each other every now and then. And the kids stay sleeping during this whole thing, thank goodness. Not true. Yeah. <laughs> um, finally, you know, after the, the creature gets bored, evidently, and leaves, um, two park rangers come around to ticket them because they were evidently camping illegally in the shelter. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, they told the the rangers about the creature that they had seen and their response was oh no it's just a bear so (laughs) uh, it sort of ends there and uh Allie says that he you know he he talked with both witnesses separately and uh again sort of staggering the time about a week apart and was really convinced that these women were telling the truth and knew what they had seen uh, fascinating tidbit I never realized. Bob Titmus claimed to have a sighting in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Did you you knew about yeah. that? Okay. Now, am I wrong or didn't Titmus claim to have a few sightings in addition to well, he didn't actually see the creature at Bluff Creek, right? No. No, not okay. I don't think so. He he was involved with the tracks there, I think. Right. Um, I'm, I'm looking in Chad Armand's historical Bigfoot and there aren't many stories here, but they're all violent. Every single one of them is violent. I'm going to read one of them though, cause this is kind of cool. This came out of, uh, Anchorage, Alaska, January 19th in 1935. Interestingly enough, this story ran in Newark, Ohio in the, uh, Newark, no Ohio kidding. advocate. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the story's called prospectors say wild man rules Arctic kingdom. Uh, Out of the isolated district north of Bristol Bay comes a tale of the wild man of the Nashagak, a nebulous terror jealously guarding an empire which, even on the larger maps, is an unexplored white patch with dotted lines for streams. Charles J. Dumbleton, sourdough prospector of many years in Yukon and Klondike Valley camps, told the story today after arriving by plane from a series of prospecting 125 miles from the nearest settlement. 
The wild man is believed in so firmly by the few men in the area that they have drawn a voluntary boundary to their northern trips. While he has made no effort to investigate the wild man's authenticity, Dumbleton said he found trappers feared to venture beyond their own established frontier, the King Salmon River. He said the wild man, perhaps some crazed by loneliness, has been reported seen several times and is blamed for the disappearance of several men who have ventured into the region of the upper Nashagak and its tributaries during the last several seasons. The wild man's empire is a vast region between the south-flowing upper Nashagak and the westward-flowing middle course of the Cush Kalkawim. Every story in here is something... That's that's like violent, like John Green uh, noted a report of Albert Petka of Nulato, who was attacked on his boat by a bushman. His dogs drove the creature off, but Petka later died of his injuries. Uh, yeah. I, I did read about that yep. one, um, so I hate to steal that one from you because it's a good one. Uh, some of these, these, these are all it, typically in in Armin's like. Uh, book you go into all these stories these are more just like really quick detailed or not detailed but really quick accounts that he just kind of highlights mm-hmm. so there aren't any very intricate stories so um i think what we're going to do though is we're going to wrap up this episode and we're going to carry this on into a alaska bigfoot part two which you're going to be able to catch next week i will say though in wrapping up part of my research for today's episode was watching a a documentary that I found called Wild. It might have been called Wild at Heart. I can't remember. It was narrated by Chuck Heston, um, and it featured a scene with a uh, grizzly bear, or no, no, a black bear, frolicking in a river while a saxophone played. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Dead serious. Um, absolutely glorious. You can look it up on Amazon streaming if you want to. I don't think it's on Amazon or on Netflix, but you can find it on Amazon. I wish I could remember it. It's, it's called like Alaska Wild something. <laughs> and there is a scene with a sax solo and a bear frolicking in a river the- while Chuck Heston narrates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Instant classic. Yeah, absolutely. In the summer of 1978, a creature stirred. And when I got out of the car and met the people at the house who were obviously distressed. From the creator of Sasquatch, a podcast about Bigfoot. It was chained to a doghouse and, and it was found like out of its collar and, you know, dead. The first film in the Small Town Monsters series. Minerva Monster. Now available at smalltownmonsters.com or Vimeo On Demand.
Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breeds Love. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you.